story of Hebrews that we've been walking through, we're going to pick up in chapter 6. What we see in the, the first eight verses, I'm going to pick up in verse 9, but verses 1 through 8 of chapter 6, the author of Hebrews talks to uh, his people in very specific terms, and he warns about the danger of spiritual drift away from Christ and the destructiveness of that. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. When you drift away from Christ, it's not just who you drift away from, but it's what you drift into. And that's what he's pointing out in some very stark terms, the, the danger of, of not growing spiritually, of becoming apathetic about your faith, of drifting away from Christ. But the good news is where I want to pick up in, in verse 9, is he looks at the people that he's talking to, and he says, I have confidence that you're going to make a different choice. I have confidence that you are going to see the value of spiritual growth, of your faith in Christ growing. And I have confidence that you're going to continue the, the journey with Christ, that you're going to lean into Christ when your faith is tested, not lean away from him. And so when we, we pick up there, we're going to see, and I'm hoping you and I walk away, real simple goal today, I'm, I'm hoping you and I will walk away today with a renewed understanding of the value of spiritual growth, that it is not just some kind of ethereal thing that doesn't matter to life, but you and I will see the value of spiritual growth to your everyday life. That's number one. I'm hoping you and I will see that. But I'm hoping we also will see that it takes effort. It doesn't just happen. It's got to be purposeful choices that you and I make, right? Y'all know that. Come on. It's got to be a purposeful desire and a willingness to be diligent, as we're going to see in a moment, in order to experience that value, to experience the value of growing in your faith. Let's look at verse 9 as he picks up. And he's given this contrast, what you could choose that's not good, but then he's saying, verse 9, even though we speak like this, like the verses 1 through 8, it's what he's talking about, dear friends, key phrase I'll come back to, we are convinced of better things in your case. That's the good news. Then he goes on to say the things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget the work and love you have shown him, shown Christ as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Now back up to verse 12 and notice, excuse me, verse 9 and notice who he is specifically, the author is talking to. He addresses them with a very specific term or phrase. He says, even though we're speaking of these people that have drifted away from Christ, that's not who I'm talking to. And then he says, even though I've, I've said it that way in pretty blunt language, I'm calling them what? Did you see it? 
He said, dear friends, that's the NIV translation. And some of your translations will translate that phrase in the New Testament as beloved. And listen to this, because this is important. 100% of the time, that phrase is always used to describe believers, in particular believers that are actually following Christ, not simply people wearing a label or a cross on their, on their lapel or, or uh, on their shirt. It is talking about people who are actually pursuing a deepening faith in Christ. They're, they're actually following where Christ leads. And so he says, dear friends, I'm convinced of what? That this is something better in your case. Now stop there. He's, he's convinced there's better things to come in their life. But he, then he connects it to something very specific. And I want you to see this. Look at verse 9 again. He says, we are convinced of better things in contrast to the others in your case. And then he elaborates. He says, the things that have to do with what? Salvation. Okay, let's pause. There's, a, there's one of our many glossary terms in our Christianese dictionary, right? We've all, some, many of you like me, grown up in the church and you've heard, if you've not heard that word salvation, you've been asleep at the wheel because that is a, a very key word that you'll hear in church naturally. You'll hear from the gospel, you'll hear from God's word. So let's pause and look at what he's talking about when he says that this better thoughts or these better things are connected to your salvation. And the word salvation in the New Testament, let's look at the meaning first of all. It means to be delivered by God from the bondage of sin. It means that you and I have this propensity on our own to enslave ourselves and make the wrong choices, destructive choices, and only Christ can give you that freedom from that sin. Now, let's take the word sin. There's yet another term in our gloss in terms of from, from believers. And, and the word sin, of course, as you know, many of you know, it means to fall short. It means to miss the mark. Now, what you need to remember about sin, according to the Bible, according to the New Testament, is that sin is not just a localized problem. In other words, when I fall short of the glory of Christ, when I fall short of the character of Christ, when I make choices or have perspectives that contradict Christ, it doesn't just impact me. Hello. It's the rock in the middle of the pond. Every time you blow it, every time I blow it, other people pay a price along with me. It can cause slavery and bondage in other people's lives as well. It has a ripple effect in your relationships with other people, with people around you. So sin is a big deal, according to the Bible. Sin is something you and I can't solve consistently on our own. And so Christ says, I will redeem you. I will deliver you. And I will free you from the very bondage that is self-inflicted by your old nature. But there's an implication to it. Now, listen. We tend to think of, of this freedom in Christ, this salvation as a one and done. Come on, y'all stay with me. All you Baptist church people like myself, I went to church in the womb. So I've grown up in the church. I get it. So what I'm trying to tell you is that we take that idea, that truth of salvation in scripture, and we too often connect it to this prayer that I say, and I'm in, I'm in the eternal club. I say the prayer and I'm saved, right? Come on. We, we look at salvation as this one and done event and it's not. 
It is the event that leads to a changed life. Salvation, when it's real, doesn't just stop there. It's not the get out of hell free card and get you to heaven when you pass. It changes life here and now. That's what the Bible teaches about salvation. And in this case, that it's referring to the fact that you not only have Christ when you decide to follow him, place your faith in him, but you will experience, if you follow him, future some benefits that he brings, blessings that he will bring to your life, ways that your life will change. And we're going to see further evidence, I'll get it out, further evidence of that in this passage What's my point? Part of spiritual growth begins with a change of perspective. Looking at your salvation through the eyes of Christ instead of what we tend to do with it. Say the prayer and you're in. That's not what salvation's about. It's about a transformed life. And, and Hebrews is trying to make that clear to his people. He's saying this, these better things are connected to your salvation. Now let me show you what I mean. Look at the very next part of the verse here. After he says, I'm convinced, we are convinced that better things in your case, uh, in these things that have to do with salvation, verse 10, he then goes on to say, God is not unjust. He will not, who? God will not forget what? Your works and your love. The word works refers to faith works. Making a difference in people's lives. The word love is the love of Christ. It's the word agape love you see in the New Testament over and over again. It's that, that kind of love because of Christ. It inspires you to not only love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, but to what? Hello, love your neighbor as yourself. His love inspires love for people. Now notice... That when I really have that perspective about my salvation, he is saying in verse 10, it will inspire work and love. You have shown who? Look at the close part. This is important. It didn't say show people. Him. You see, when I really understand my salvation and I live out of that salvation and I lean into my relationship with Christ instead of away from Christ, when I truly follow where he leads, it's going to show that I love him, first of all, and it's going to be expressed in helping people. And that word help, by the way, I don't have time to get in all these words, but that word help is where we get ministry from. You will be inspired to serve people. That God will use your life as he transforms you to make a difference in the lives of others. That's a sure way to know whether you're growing. There, but hello, it is, it's a sure way to know whether you and I are growing spiritually. If, if I can, listen, this is all extra. If, if I can sit on this seat week after week or sit in a hope group week after week and never make any difference in anybody else's life, friend, you're not growing. That's, that's not me, that's Bible. James is a whole book full of the, the very same principles uh, in God's words. And so when you and I have the right perspective, when we take on the mind of Christ, 
It will make a difference in how we live. James, the half-brother of Jesus, said it this way. James chapter 125, he said, But whoever looks intently at the perfect law, the truth from God's word, that gives freedom. When you follow the truth, it will give you freedom and continues in it. Not a one and done, but you continue living out of that truth of God's word. Not forgetting what you have heard, but what? Doing it. And then he goes on to say, when you do it, not just know it, when you do it, they will be what? Blessed. Not in what you know, in what you do. You see, I, I know I'm getting irritating when I keep saying this. It's not what you know. It's what you do with what you know that changes life. And that's God's word. As you can see, I didn't make that up. That's right out of his word. That's what, that's what this salvation means when you and I are living out of our salvation. So, so number one, if you and I are going to see the value of growing spiritually, one of those values is a changed perspective. The effort is to allow Christ to help you see your day-to-day -day life differently than you do now. Listen, can, can we just get real for a moment? When I'm not looking at life through Christ's eyes, you know who I'm looking at it through? There's only one other choice, right? Self. And you know what? When I look at life through the eyes of self, you know what happened? Big surprise. Life becomes about what? Exactly. You're with me. You're tracking. That's good. It becomes about you or it becomes about me. That is an awful way to live, by the way. Hello. That is a, a self-imploding, miserable way to live ultimately. The problem with it, being selfish feels good in the short term. And because, like a drug addict, we get hooked on feeling good out of selfishness and we keep going and going. But we can make a different choice as a believer if you have the right perspective on your salvation. Lean into that salvation. Follow where Christ leads and you will develop a different perspective on your life day to day. The challenges of life, the goods of life, you'll see it differently than you do through your own eyes. So number two, I want you to look at the second part though. Look at what he goes on to say in verses 11, 12. He says, you will not only develop a different perspective, a mindset, looking at life through the eyes of Christ. But you and I in verses 11, we will grow in our faith. We want each of you to do what? To show this same diligence. What diligence that salvation brings to your life? Of working and loving because Christ inspires you to do so. We want you to show this same diligence till the very end. In other words, stick with it. And then he tells you why. Look at it closely. So that what you hope for, that is hope in Christ, you may be, may be what? Fully realized. You'll experience it. You'll experience the value of spiritual growth of a growing faith in your everyday life. Now stay with me. Look at that word diligence, first of all. It means earnestness. You know what it means to be diligent. It means to stick with it. It means to be all in and take it one step at a time. And he's saying, be diligent in your faith in following Christ to the very end. And the reason is so that you and I can experience the value of the what? The hope of Christ. You see, you, you, we've talked about this, and we'll come back to the word hope in a minute. But that idea, that, that principle of hope in the Bible is not wishful thinking. It is 
means confident expectation. You know why you and I can have confident expectation? Jesus. Because what you're putting your hope in is worthy of it. When I put my hope in self, that's not confident expectation. That's not real hope. That's wishful thinking. When I put my hope in other people, it may feel good for a moment, but it will always fail because it is not hope. It is wishful thinking. When I put my hope in climbing a ladder or whatever it is, whatever else you want to put your hope in will not work. It is only real hope when it's in Christ. That's what Hebrews is trying to tell us. And it will be fully realized if you lean into this Christ and you grow in him, become more like him. It takes purposeful effort. Okay, now let me pause just for a moment and I'll be brief about this. And let's get practical of what it means to diligently pursue growth because that's kind of an abstract, right? Here's what it is according to God's word. There are four things that you and I have got to be serious about if we are going to grow in our faith, grow in our relationship with Christ. Number one, and, and listen, many of you, none of these are going to be a surprise to you, but I want to I challenge you. The key is not what you know, it's what you're willing to do with what you know. It's about being diligent about these things, not knowing about these things. That makes sense? It's not knowing the list, it's what you're going to do with the list that matters. So number one, diligently pursue the truth of God's word. We've talked about this at least a million times since I've been here. That does not mean just know more about God's word. That means become more responsive to the truth of his word. Do more of what his word calls you to do. Number two, diligently pursue prayer. God's word, Paul says, pray without ceasing. Well, what does he mean? Get on your knees for 24-7? I sure hope not. I don't know how to get anything else done if that's the case. That's not what that word means. You look at God's word and it's talking about connect and reconnect with God, with Christ through out your busy day. He was talking to busy people then as we are today. Be busy, but connect with Christ throughout your life. That's why memorizing God's word is so key in my estimation. It can help you do that. So listen to him, watch for him, talk to him, unload on him throughout your day uh, on and off. Reconnect. Number three, pursue diligently community. I spent a whole Sunday last week on this. And if you missed it, go back and listen to it on the website. You are not, listen, I'm going to be as straightforward as I know how to be. You are never going to grow like you are called to grow by yourself. It is not a call to be isolated from the body, according to God's word. It is a call to be smack in the middle of it. Developing relationships in the body will help you grow spiritually, help you become more Christ-like than you will ever see out there isolated on an island by yourself. So diligently pursue community. And finally, diligently pursue service. Make a difference. You've heard me talk about this before. When you have a sponge that soaks and it's never wrung out, what happens? Starts stinking. <laughs> sit soaking sour. When you sit in these chairs and I sit in these chairs or I go to hope groups and I'm constantly gaining more and more information about the Bible, but I'm doing nothing with it. I'm not serving and letting God use my life to make a difference in the lives of others. You're going to sit soaking sour every stink stinking time, literally. It's not pretty, and it's not good. That's not what God's Word says. So if you and I are going to diligently pursue this growth, that in practical terms is what it means. So in essence, I want you to see one other thing, and I'm going to move on and wrap it up. Look at what he says is the danger 
when you and I are not diligent about our spiritual lives, about growing in our faith. He says in verse 12, we do not want you to become what? Some of you are saying that with gusto. Lazy, you're right. That word lazy is where we get the idea of slothful. It could be translated slothful. That. Are you that? Have you ever seen a sloth movie? It's pretty amazing. It's like paint moving, paint drying on the wall. And then he gets to the branch and all he does is hang there all day. Does it with a smile, evidently. But that's not a good place to be. And it can become, to, it can feel natural to be there. They become apathetic about our faith. You see, what in essence I see here from Hebrews is if you're not diligently pursuing growth, you will become apathetic. If you don't move in the right direction, you will slide in the wrong. If you're not purposely, diligently seeking to become more like Christ, leaning into your relationship with Christ one day at a time, each new day of your life, if you're not diligently pursuing it, you and I will, not might, will become apathetic. Why do you suppose he said, we don't want you to become lazy? Because he knew they had the propensity to become so. And if you're diligently pursuing, you don't have to worry about lazy, right? If you're diligently moving towards Christ. You don't have to worry about sliding away from him. And so God's word is telling us in no uncertain terms, you, we do not want you to become lazy, but imitate those around you who, who exhibit faith and patience. There's good examples, he says, around you. So here's the, in essence, what I'm trying to get at. Spiritual growth requires two things from you and I, a change in perspective. If your attitudes, your perspectives, how you see life hasn't changed much, if any, you're not growing. And number two, he says, it's an effort to grow in your faith, which means as I see life through, listen, come on, y'all stay with me here. If I start seeing life through Christ's eyes, I mean, really do it. You know what's going to happen next? He's going to tell you to take a step of faith. He's going to say, now I want to test if you really believe what I'm showing you. And I want you to take this next step of faith. So my question is always would be, what's your next step of faith right now? What, it is, what is it that Christ is prompting you to do next? To take that next step of faith that you've been kind of hesitating. We all hesitate. And what is it you need to do in order to step towards him and to grow in your relationship with him? Now, let's look at the last part. Let's look at the results real briefly. Verses 19 and 20. According to God's word, according to Hebrews if we are willing to pursue growth, spiritual growth, it has a real life impact on our lives. Now, verses 13 leading up to that, he talks about Abraham and God called him on this amazing, crazy journey. And he made a promise to Abraham if he would trust him that he would bless his life. He made a covenant with Abraham. And then he picks up in verse 19. He uses that Old Testament imagery as we're going to see in these two verses as well. And he says, we, verse 19, we have this hope. What hope? That hope in Christ he just talked about earlier. We have this hope. Look at it. I love this language. As a what? Anchor for the soul firm and secure. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. It enter, enters, that is this hope we have in Christ, 
enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. I'll explain all that in a moment. Where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf, he has become our high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, look at that first phrase in verse 19, just real briefly. I want to kind of outline it for you here. He says, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul. So an anchor, of course, means support and stability. When a ship or a boat does not have its anchor down, then what happens? The currents and the waves shove it wherever the boat is going to go. But when you have the anchor down, there is that support and stability. And that's, this is one of the few places, by the way, in the, in the New Testament that this imagery is used, but it is found here in Hebrews, and it means support and stability. But then he says it's an anchor for your what? Your soul. Now pause with me. That word soul is used 750 different times in the New Testament. And, and the word here is emphasizing life itself. It's emphasizing the fact that when you and I are growing, it will be an anchor to our lives. There will be a stability that we will not have apart from the hope of Christ. He gives us stability when the waves are trying to throw us around. Paul said it this way. He had a peace that did what? Transcended. Chapter 4, Philippians verse 7. Transcended what? I don't know why I've got peace, but I've got it. That's what he meant. I've got it because of Christ. And that's what the promise is. Isn't this a great promise, by the way? After the last two years we've had in carrying on into 2022 with craziness around the world. Isn't it good that even when the world has gone cray-cray, we can have stability. We can know Christ and have that peace that transcends understanding. So he says, an anchor for your soul. And then he uses two firms to make it clear. And these terms are similar. Firm means stable and reliable. And secure, of course, means safe and unshakable. And so he's saying this hope that we have in Christ, if we are really growing, we will experience it as an anchor for our lives. We won't get shaken up like crazy and be thrown around by the waves of this world or this culture or what goes on. We, we will feel things. We will feel stress, but we will have the capacity to deal with it in a healthy way from a perspective of hope. From an anchor of hope as opposed to being tossed around like some kind of ragdoll in the wind. It is going to give you hope. So it's an anchor for your life is what he says is number one result uh, in life. Now look at the last part. And before I go there, David said this in Psalm 31 as in terms of this idea of security. He said, be strong and take heart all who what? who hope in the Lord. You see, David, when he wrote those words, go back and read Psalm 31. It's a great passage. It's a great psalm in the, in the scripture. He's talking about being under siege. He's talking about being distressed. He's talking about being heavy and things are not good. But then he wraps it up at the very end of the, at that passage of that chapter. And he says, I can choose to what? Be strong. And I can choose to take heart. Why? Because his hope is in the Lord. Now look at the end of the story. And I'll wrap it up. He says, this hope enters to the inner sanctuary. 
What's the inner sanctuary talking about? Many of you know this. He's using Old Testament imagery once again. He's talking about the holy of holies within the temple. So once a year, the high priest, in this case, he mentions Melchizedek. I won't get into all that history today because I don't have time. But the high priest once a year would go behind this, put it up on the, the you'll see in an image of it on the screen. The inner sanctuary would be something along these lines. That big curtain from the ceiling to the floor was huge and thick. And it, it, it represented the separate separation between God, the presence of God on the other side of the curtain and God's people separated by sin. And every year the high priest would go in and offer a sacrifice on behalf of God's people for their sin. Well, Jesus took of, took care of it once and for all, as many of you well know. When he died on the cross, he was the final sacrifice. He was the forerunner. He went behind the curtain. And not, not only according to the Gospels did Jesus go behind the curtain, what did he do with the curtain? I love it. He ripped it from the top to the bottom, making sure that we understood that only God could do that. Only God could take care of this. And, there, and you and I, listen... You and I can now from this day forth, because of what Christ has done, we can live life in the presence of God, not separated from him. Listen, your life is not going to be worth living because of what you and I achieve. It is not going to be worth living because of the ladders we climb or the houses we buy. It's going to be worth living because we're in the presence of God, the one who created us. In fact, Paul says, for now I see him how dimly as in a mirror. Chapter 13, Corinthians. But then I will see him how face to face. So when I take my last breath, that is the crescendo. But friend, listen, Hebrews is telling us, Paul was telling us, we can live in the presence of God now. He is what makes life abundant. Not stuff. Not achievement, not climbing the ladders, not other people, Christ. And he's what he's pointing out. He's the forerunner that has made that possible. The word forerunner can be, mean pioneer. That He's not only gone ahead of you, but he's paving the way for you to follow and to experience what it means to live in the presence of God. And so in essence, what we see in this passage this morning is that when you and I choose to lean into our relationship with Christ, to grow in our faith, I mean truly grow spiritually, there's going to be two results. You're going to have a hope that will anchor your life. You ever, have you ever had the, the, I know some of you have, I have. You ever had the peace that passes understanding? Things are falling apart around you and you don't know why you, you're, you're okay. Is that making sense? It's just there. And I can tell you it's because of Christ from my experience. When I have experienced the peace that passes understanding, that transcends understanding, it is because Christ and Christ alone. And he says he is your hope. He is your anchor for life. But that life is best lived in his presence. And Jesus has made that possible. Saw this story this week of this family that was traveling from Fort Lauderdale down to the Tampa, Florida area. And they stopped for breakfast. And as they were driving in, they, they saw these orange fields that just stretched as far as the eyes could see. Trees full of oranges all over the place. It looked like it went for miles. 
So they pull in the cafeteria, this cafe, there's, of course, a glass around. You can see the, the orange trees and all that stuff and see the environment around you. So the, the, the family's ordering breakfast, and the, the, the father, he orders orange juice, a glass of orange juice with his, his meal, with his breakfast. And the, the waitress says, I'm sorry, we can't bring you, I can't bring you orange juice because the uh, machine is broken. And he's sitting in the midst of this contrast, right? He's looking outside at orange groves as far as the eye could see, but yet he couldn't get one stinking glass of orange juice because the machine's broken. Uh, and they were, to make it even worse, they're bringing out the plates with orange slices on them as part of their garnish. But nobody could bring him a glass of orange juice, right? He's sitting in the midst of all this abundance, of orange juice, but yet he couldn't get any. He just thought that was this big irony as he sat there having his breakfast without his orange juice. And, and I got to thinking about that story, and I'm thinking, if you and I are depending on a sermon of a week for your growth, that's like sitting in the cafe surrounded by abundance, but not getting what you need, Right? It's not about hearing a sermon a week or even a hope group lesson a week. It's about what you're going to do in your relationship with Christ. Are you going to be, choose to be diligent about the things you need to be Are you and I going to truly lean in and seek to actively grow spiritually? Why? Because it makes a difference in my life. It changes life. So I want to leave you with these two thoughts in a question. Number one, Spiritual growth doesn't just happen, so what are you going to do about it? Number two, spiritual growth or the lack of it has real life results. Do you really get that? Do you, do you really understand that? Or has, has spiritual growth just become this kind of theory thing out there that's abstract? Or is it real life? Because according to God's word, my friend, it is real life. And, and, and you can tell real quick whether you're growing spiritually or not when life hits, Right? It'll show you real quick what the reality is, regardless of what you and I pretend it might be. So my question simply is, do you see the real life value in spiritual growth? And if so, what are you doing to pursue it? I don't mean just showing up. And this is good, by the way. I'm glad you're here. But this is just the starting place, right? What are you going to do when you walk out of, off this campus this week, tomorrow, to pursue spiritual growth, to grow in your faith. What are you going to do with this when you leave here? Let's pray. Father, thank you as always for the challenge and the encouragement of your word. Lord, just thank you that you walk with us, that you, you don't owe us anything, but you're offering us abundance. You're offering us miles and miles of potential and joy and purpose that we don't deserve, but yet here you are. You've come before us, and because of Christ and Christ alone, we have a hope that is stable. Father, I can't help but pray for our brothers and sisters, those believers in the Ukraine and the people at large right now that need that hope, that their world has been shaken up like we can't probably even come become to, to, to imagine ourselves 
And I pray for them. I pray that they will have that hope and they'll be able to share that hope of Christ, even in the midst of a war zone, because that's what you can do. Father, if you can do that there, you can do a work in us too. So I pray that you'll reignite our lives, our faith in you, that you'll give us this hunger and desire to move closer to you and to live out of who you are taking on the mind of Christ and taking the steps of faith you call us to. Give us that kind of hunger, myself included. May we not get into the apathetic cycle of going through the motions. But Father, inspire us to grow. It's in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen.